0: right. Hey, hey, good to see you guys today in the big room. Come on. Exciting. What an awesome time in the presence of God. So good to be in here. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but just sometimes we pray and we say, God, will you uh, answer this prayer? Will you take us forward into this thing? And uh, we have to actually step into those answered prayers. And that's what we're doing today, stepping into answered prayers. This building is such a gift from God. And it's going to do such great things in our community. Not the building itself; the building is just concrete and wood and sheetrock and you know skating room floors and all that. But uh, the people that fill the building and what God does through the life of the congregation—so good. I wanted to share something with you today. I'm going to jump into the message, but I just felt just kind of in my spirit today as we were worshiping and singing that song about first love, fire. Jesus, take me back to my first love. You know, there's a parable that Jesus tells in the in the New Testament about the wise and the foolish. Virgins And there's a, a, the groom goes and he, he, he leaves and he's going to come back and they're waiting. They have their lamps and they actually run out of oil. And they have to go find the oil and they're in the darkness. And, and uh, I'm forgetting the whole story, but basically they missed the moment because they ran out of oil. And it's a picture of our passion, of the, the Holy Spirit, a picture of our love for the Lord, that we have to have enough oil in order to actually be there when he shows up. Jesus talks about he that endures until the end will be saved. You have to be faithful to the end. Being a Christian is not about, oh, I prayed this prayer one time and then I stopped following Jesus. No, you gotta keep following Jesus, right? This, this Christian life is not just a, a sprint, it's a marathon. And I was just, as we were worshiping today, I just really felt the Lord wanted me to challenge us as a church that we would not be a people just of creed and theology where we have right beliefs and right understandings and we get into the Bible and we go, yes, this is true. Uh, but we would not just be a people of, of truth. We wouldn't just be a people of even action where we do the right stuff. Hey, we come together on Sundays, we sing songs, we help people, we feed the, 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 the hungry, we clothe the, the naked, we, uh, you know, or if you're from Springfield, the naked, You know, we do all the good stuff. Not just that, but we would actually be a people of passion. We'd be a church that's filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit, that we'd have a deep love in our hearts for the Lord, that you would experience freedom and the, and the fulfillment that comes from a real relationship with Jesus, which is not just going through the motions, but is actually that you're filled from the inside out with the Spirit of God. There's a deep passion and love for the Lord. There's a place of worship, and everything you do for God comes from a passion and a love for God. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching good already. The Lord wants to stir us and give us that fresh oil. Lift up your hands right now. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, right now we ask you that you would fill us, Lord, even as we sort of inaugurate this new room and we worship you today in this place, that, Lord, we would not just be uh, going through the motions in our worship, but, Lord, you would birth in us a deep passion for your presence. God, that you would birth in us a deep passion for worship. Lord, that we would never want to go anywhere without your Spirit going before us. The Lord, we would do nothing apart from you. Lord, you are the vine. We are the branches. God, let us be filled with the oil of your Holy Spirit today. God, let us be a people of passion. Lord, that we're desperate for your spirit. That we're desperate for your presence. God, that we're desperate for your touch in our lives. The Lord, we need you in our families. We need you in our workplaces. God, we need you in our time of devotions. We need you in the morning. We need you at night when we lay our head down on the pillow. Jesus, we welcome you in this. Place. Lord, we don't want to be Christians that just go through the motions. We don't want to just be a church that just does all the right things and looks the right way. And Lord, we don't want to be known for our works. We want to be known for our love for you and what you've done in our lives. Jesus, we want something real. We want something true. We want something pure creating us a clean heart, creating us a fresh love and passion for you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Right from the very beginning, I'm sorry, I know you don't want to watch me cry up here. (laughs) Right from the beginning when we started our church, wasn't Bethany and I, wasn't the team, the Holy Spirit started Joy Church. You know, we were thinking about what we were going to be as a church, what we were going to do, and I remember sitting in my office, listening to worship music. I have this old, really ugly, gray office chair that Bethany has allowed me to keep in our house, but because it's hidden in my room. <laughs> and I was listening to Leland that song, "I Just Want to Be Where You Are." Now I was crying my eyes out. That's what real men do: <laughs> listen to music in their office and cry. And the Holy Spirit was just working in my heart. Just knew from that time, you know, we want to be a church that's directed and sustained by the presence of God. It's not just lip service. It's not just words. It's not just what you're supposed to say. I'm talking about when you really encounter the Holy Spirit and it's real Christianity, it doesn't make you perfect. doesn't mean you're perfect, never make mistakes. But like there's a passion and a love that drives you. The presence of God, and I remember sitting in that moment right from the beginning, just thinking, Lord, I just want it to be real. People come and they encounter your presence, and, and that's what it's all about, you know? And uh, as we were worshiping today, I could just feel that same spirit, the Lord wants to birth that and burn that into your heart. And maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I'm <laughs> my first time, this is weird. We don't always do this. <laughs> but we probably should do it more. Because being a Christian isn't something that you do. It's like this whole mystical experience. You connect with God, the God of the universe, who works in mysterious ways, right? (laughs) And uh, when you meet him, he changes your life. And so we need people to come here to this building and not just hear nice music and hear fancy words and, you know, all that. We, We need people to meet Jesus. And people aren't going to want to meet Jesus until we meet Him, until we know Him, until people can see that look in your eyes that you're not just going through the motions, but this isn't just your religion, but it's real to you. And God wants to birth that here. You know, I think right from the very beginning, this is our first, very first service, very first time of worship in this room. The Lord is doing something right now. Prophetically, God is doing something right now For us to mark this time, that from the very beginning, that we put it into the concrete, into the walls. We don't even have the walls built. This isn't like our cool millennial or Gen Z uh, decoration scheme. It's just not finished. (laughs) I tried to get, you know, young people to be like, yeah, this is what, no, it's supposed to look better than this. But even before we get the walls up, that we saturate this place with this heart for worship for the Lord. That we say right from the very beginning, it's not about us, what we do, what we're going to do, the cool things. It's not even about the people that are going to come. It's actually about giving God glory and honor and letting this be a place of his presence. And uh, I think, I don't believe that there's anything holy or spectacular about concrete. Um, This was pretty nasty, actually. I think right around here was like a real nasty part that had to get scrubbed and cleaned. There's really nothing holy about this ground, uh, this particular material or whatever. But our worship does sanctify places. God chooses to work in physical locations as people really, you know, come there and worship. And we get to do that today. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about you and me getting to meet Jesus for real today. And every time we come to worship here, I'm excited about what he wants to do in our lives. And I'm excited about what God is doing. So my prayer is that we just would see this be a place of worship a place where God's presence is, is, is here and you can feel it and encounter that every time you come. Amen? Yes. Awesome. Excuse my outburst of emotion. Try to stay very stoic. <laughs> I am deeply passionate about God and I'm deeply passionate about my relationship with him and I'm deeply passionate about the work that God's called us to do here and I'm not sorry about that. <laughs> uh, I was meeting with a guy uh, recently, Bethany and I had some people over to our house and we were just talking about them getting involved and he said, I haven't lost my passion. I just about jumped up and said, let's go win people to Jesus tonight. Let's run out in the streets. I have not lost my passion either. I'm more passionate today than I was when I gave my life to Jesus at four years old, Some <laughs> years ago. I'm more passionate about what God wants to do through Joy Church than I was on day one when we started. And you better believe that when I have more gray hair than I do now, and young people are like, get him off the stage, he doesn't even make sense anymore, that I will have passion. God wants to put passion in your life for him, for the work of the kingdom, because that passion will get you up every day. It's better than making money. It's better than any fulfillment in life. There's nothing like his presence. Come on, he wants to to do that in your life. I am fired up about that today. I'm fired up about what God is doing, and we're here to see it on day one in this room. Very cool. To change gears just, just slightly, we're going to jump into the message. We do have a bathroom available for the ladies. <laughs> Come on, it's Valentine's Day. Got to take care of the ladies, guys, right? Ladies, your bathroom is not fully finished, but it is usable. Is that true? Am I si- it's finished. Come on. I don't go in there, so that's good, right? Does <laughs> it look good? Cool. Maybe I'll sneak in there and look at it during the week when nobody's using it. But ladies' bathroom right over here to my left, your right, over your right shoulder. So that is available. Hey, dudes, yours isn't done yet. Get over yourselves, guys. You have to go out that door and use the, the bathroom that we've been using. Are you going to be okay with that, guys? Is that all right? Okay. We're getting the guys' bathroom done, but ladies' yours is, is available, so... Awesome. Well, I'm excited today to continue in our series uh, talking about discipleship and making an impact in our community. And uh, you might think, well, the stuff I just talked about there before was not connected to this, but actually it's very deeply connected. We're talking about empowering disciples to make disciples. We're talking about the four E's that we use as a framework here at Joy Church for, for looking at discipleship, meaning following Jesus that we engage culture and community, we share the gospel, we love people, we bring them into the kingdom, we establish biblical foundations, we equip believers to minister. How many of you know, being a Christian, every, everybody gets, uh, you're not just part of the family, you also get chores, right? The Schmelzer kids wouldn't be part of the family if they didn't actually have jobs. They're, they're not just part of the family, they're part of the family business. So every believer's called to minister, called to serve, called to make a difference, and God's wired you certain ways Uh, In order to be able to make a difference, I was laughing with Jeff Pleur today because I was trying to fold one of those sheets that you have on your seats there, and I I suck at it. (laughs) Now you go, it's just folding paper. Yeah, but if your brain doesn't work that way, it doesn't work that way, right? And so I was telling Jeff, I have no spatial intelligence. (laughs) I'm actually stupid, and I'm not being self-deprecating. It's actually just true if I have to like figure something out, how does it fold? What a- angles? I-, I can't do it. We were over talking about where a wall goes and Jeff saw my eyes glaze over. I was kind of like, <laughs> and he goes, we got it, Jake. You know, well, you <laughs> yeah, because I don't know. So he he comes over. He shows me, this is how we fold it. And I'm like, sweet. And I did one. And then I walked off and was in the Holy Spirit, I think. I don't know. But uh, I'm not good at that. I'm-, I'm wired differently. I can play music. I can write messages. I know, how, you know, words and things like that. I can do that. Construction angles, spaces, ge- geometry. See, I couldn't even say it. I was going to say geometry. <laughs> I can't do it. I'm not wired that way. So that's not my gift. You with me? Uh, I, it's not that I'm not willing. I'd love to be able to. I tried to help, but I'm not. I'm not good at it, and that's not how I'm wired some of you are like wired so well in that side of things, construction and building and angles and setting everything up. And that's awesome. And we need everybody here. Some of you aren't wired that way. You're more like me and you're, you're, uh, you're not good at that type of thing, but you can talk, you can do whatever it is that you do, but you need to get equipped to minister, to use your gifts that God's placed in you. And then that fourth one, the fourth E, engage, establish, equip is the word empower. And that's what we're talking about today. Empowerment being empowered as a disciple to actually make disciples. Now, this word empowerment simply means to give someone the authority to do the job that you've equipped them to do. So if you've handed them the tool in the equipping phase and said, okay, here's what you're gonna do. Here's the tool I've now equipped you. Now I give you this position or this authority and I release you out in order to go and do it. And there's a level of maturity that comes, a level of uh, development that only comes as you're empowered and you actually begin to do the thing that you were equipped to do, right? Until you actually step out and do something, you have all the theory in the world, but it's not really, uh, you haven't really stepped into that fullness of, of what, what you're called to do. I want you to think about, you know, if you go in for open heart surgery or something and the doctor says, I've read all the books. I've practiced on all the, the you know, cadavers and all that. And this is, and guess what? You're my first heart surgery. You go, I think I want the other guy, right? Uh, I think I want somebody with a little bit more experience who's actually been empowered, who's actually done the thing that they were equipped to do, right? Has actually done it because there's something different when somebody says, yes, I've been, you know, I've been flying this airplane, I'm the pilot and I've, I've landed 300 planes and I've landed in 400 different cities and I've, you know, you go, that's great. I want that guy because he knows what happens when the wind starts blowing a different direction than the book said it would blow, right? I want somebody who actually has done the thing and so there's a level of maturity. There's a level of uh, Uh, that happens in our lives when we've actually been empowered, when we've stepped out and actually done the thing. When I was about, I don't know, 12, 13 years old, I used to play drums. I still play the drums. I just don't do it very often. Uh, I can play the drums. I won't demonstrate today, but, you know, I I can do it, but I, I don't do it often. But I used to play drums for the church in Medford. And I started playing drums when I was seven or eight years old. And so by this point, I had been playing for four or five years. And I was pretty good. I could play. And I think somebody said, well, why don't you, you know, sing this song? Uh, we had this thing called the tailgate party in Medford. Kayla would remember this. And once a year, we would go outside and have church. And uh, it was pretty fun. And it was called the tailgate party. And it was a cool time. And we'd eat hot dogs or sausages or whatever. And uh, we'd have music outside. And so it was kind of a special day. So they said, why don't you sing this song, Big House, by Audio Adrenaline. Any Overstay people that remember that song? (laughs) Sing it with me. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms, right? It's a big, big table, lots of food. Huh, I didn't see that rhyme coming. Hmm. Poet and we didn't know it, yeah. Big, big yard where we can't play. Yeah, that's right. Not soccer, no, football. (coughs) So they said, why don't you sing this song? So I was about 13 years old and I, I knew that I was gonna do this. I said, okay, you know, I agreed to it and I was super nervous. Because at the time, I wasn't really singing a lot. I was kind of starting to write songs. I wrote this extremely well-known hit that you've probably all heard on the radio called Monopoly when I was about (laughs) 10 or 11 years old. Sometimes life is like Monopoly. And yeah, anyways, no, you have never heard it. And no one will ever hear it. That's the most you'll ever hear that song. (laughs) But I was starting to kind of explore with singing and writing songs. So they I don't know if it was my mom or whoever was. I think it was actually our worship pastor at the time, Jim Durham. He wanted to empower me. And so he grabs this 12, 13-year-old kid. I had a bowl cut at the time because that's what you had in the 90s. You know what I mean? The bowl cut, no fear uh, shirt. And uh, I had a little stash, I think, too, at this point in my life. And uh, I sang Big House. And I knew I was going to sing this at tailgate party, and there was going to be a few hundred people. Let me tell you right now, I, I would practice my instrument. I would practice you know, drums and whatever to a certain point, but when I was going to sing, when I was going to be in this position, I'm telling you, I was focused. I was so disciplined. I would practice every day. I sang it a million times, and when, I, when the time came, I was so nervous, I could barely get, squeak out the words, but I played the drums, and we played Big House, and I sang it at tailgate party as a 13-year-old, okay? Let me just tell you right now, when you get to be put on the stage for what you've been equipped to do, it draws something out of you that, come, that does not come in any kind of classroom or theory or anything else. When it's your first time to lead joy group and you're the one that has to actually lead through the questions or you're the person that's gonna uh, share faith with someone and it's the first time and and you're out on the stage and now you're in that position to do the thing that God's been calling you to do and equipped you to do, it draws something out of you that only comes from actually doing the thing, that's empowerment. And I'm so grateful that I had a, a worship leader, a worship pastor, gym, and then my mom was also worship pastor, that said, look, we see in you there's this gifting that is extremely limited at this point in your life, but we're going to actually empower you and release you to use this gift. And it led to me actually, about six or seven years later, becoming the worship pastor for the church, creating albums, leading worship around the world and different things, writing songs. Uh, Dozens of people have heard my music around the world, (laughs) but God used it in my life. to to, to help people and it came from a place of empowerment. And so when we talk about being disciples, you don't ever become, you know, you're not really stepping forward into maturity until you actually use the things that you've been equipped to do, until you actually are empowered, until somebody says, look, I see in you this capacity and I'm now releasing you to do this thing. Are you with me? Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We read this last week that Jesus has all authority. He rose from the dead, right? He's the Son of God. He's God. He, he has all authority, and He said, I've, because I've got it, because of that, I'm handing it to you, and here's the mission that you're to go and do. He empowered His disciples then, and He empowers us as His disciples now to go into all the world and make disciples, he has all the authority so it's his to give. Every disciple is called to make disciples. We are empowered by Jesus himself to get out on that stage and do the thing that he's called us to do, and every one of us is empowered to make disciples. Again, that word empower means to give someone the authority or the power to do something. Sometimes we're limited because we're, we don't have the platform in order to be, you know, to do the thing we've been equipped to do. Other times is that we are we don't have the power. See, part of what it means to be a Christian, and this is what I started talking about today when I first came up here, is that we've got to be connected to Jesus as the vine. We really can't do a whole lot or anything at all for the kingdom of God apart from him. Jesus said that explicitly. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And yet we always think, well, I can do something without him. No, you can't. Right? Don't we fall into that trap? So part of our empowerment is coming from the Holy Spirit that that he's giving us the power to do and be who he's called us to be. You know, I can't make a big difference in the city of Eugene, and the city of Springfield, Lane County, uh, just as Jake Schmelzer, but Jake Schmelzer plus the Holy Spirit is a pretty powerful combination. Just like between Tom Brady and I, we have seven Super Bowl victories. (laughs) It's true. Between you and him, you have seven too, right? How many of you know the right partner can really elevate your game. So the Holy Spirit empowering you, Jesus coming alongside you, empowering you, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Tom Brady, I have zero Super Bowl victories. But with Tom Brady and I, it's a true statement, I've got seven Super Bowl victories between us. But that's how it is when we com- combine with the Holy Spirit and combine with Jesus, Are you with me? So we're empowered, we have the authority, or power to do something. Now, we're going through six ways that we're empowered to make disciples, and last week I gave you two. I forgot what they were, but I'm sure they were great because I preached so long. I thought I could get through three or four, but I only got through two. So uh, I'm going to go shorter today. Well, let's let me not lie to you. I think I will. Let's we'll say that. But no, it'll be good. Be short. Uh, I gave you two last week, and I'm going to give you two more today. Six ways we're empowered to make disciples. So this is number three on that list. This is like a. You really got to be in church every week. Otherwise, you're just getting in a very confusing list. You know, you need all six. It's kind of like going to McDonald's and getting all the toys, you know what I mean, that come with the Happy Meal. I remember my parents trying to get all the Blazers cups like back in the 90s from wherever. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? It was like uh, Clyde Drexler, Clyde the Glide, and yeah. You got them all? No. But you probably had some, right? You were going to get them. Okay. So you got to collect these, these points. So the number three point out of the six ways we're empowered to make disciples is this, that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness. Empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and this is probably the seminal verse on empowerment, the core verse on empowerment, I think, in the, in the, whole, in the whole Bible. Jesus tells his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it's recount, recorded for us, <clears throat> You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is ascending to heaven. He says, guys, you need to wait. Uh, Disciples, you need to wait in Jerusalem. Wait for the the Holy Spirit. We know in Acts chapter 2, they're in uh, the upper room. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and they receive this empowerment. They receive this power. Of the Holy Spirit that was promised by Jesus. But listen, the power of the Holy Spirit is not just so you can say, oh, I have a lot of power, right? Uh, there's In, in weight, weight training and fitness, there's this kind of term called functional strength, right? In other words, everybody knows there's, there's guys that, you know, have huge muscles, but th- their strength is all kind of uh, artificial to some level, and there's a difference between somebody who actually can use that strength in real uh, life, right? Uh, in other words, having like humongous biceps doesn't really necessarily, you know, make you better at whatever it is you want to do. So functional strength. The power of the Holy Spirit is not just to give you big muscles spiritually. The power of the Holy Spirit is to give you functional strength to do a job. What's that job? It's to do this, to be a witness for Christ. So we talk about, oh, I want the presence of God. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be, you know, connected to Jesus. Absolutely. But Why? Well, just to feel it. Well, that's good to feel it, yes, and have that love and all that, but it's for purpose. So I think it's the Pastor Steve Merle quote. He says, the, pro- the uh, power of the Holy Spirit is for the proclamation of the gospel. And if we get that, and if we line that up inside of ourselves, then, then, then we're, we're in right uh, belief there, and right, uh, we're lined up correctly in this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. So when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you have, a, you have the power now, you are empowered to be a witness for Jesus. Now, how many of you ever struggle with being bold to share your faith? And I've got my hand up, not, as, not metaphorically or something, I have my hand up because I struggle to be bold for Christ. I can't really do anything for God apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We just talked about that. So the power of the Holy Spirit is what gives us boldness to be His witnesses. In other words, when you struggle, when you go, man, I'm, <laughs> I feel kind of weak, like to share my faith in Christ, it's embarrassing, it's hard, it's awkward. Uh, I feel like I'm going to get rejected. Well, yeah, all those things are true. I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you and say, every time you share your faith, people just, the Holy Spirit comes and it's this perfect moment. No, a lot of times it's not. Think about this. Even when Jesus would share his message, people didn't like it. Think about that. So Jesus himself is sharing Jesus did he walk up to people? Hey, I'd like to share Jesus with you. <laughs> I mean, it's weird. But anyways, and people were like, oh, I don't like that. He would, they'd say, well, I want to I follow you. And he'd say, okay, well, give up all your resources. You know, the rich young ruler, you know, give away everything you own to the poor. And he departed sorrowfully for he had, you know, too many resources. He didn't want to do that. That was his idol. Even Jesus failed at evangelism. He wasn't even that good at it. There's pastors in America that have bigger churches than Jesus ever had. Some of you were like, are we gonna get struck by lightning? (laughs) No, I'm not criticizing Jesus. I'm trying to make a point that we think sometimes, oh, to be an effective witness or to be a witness for Christ, it means I have to have 100% success. No, you need the power of the Holy Spirit so you can actually get through the resistance that comes when you share Christ. Just because sharing Jesus is hard doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, though. Just because exercise is hard doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Just because chocolate chip cookies taste better than broccoli doesn't mean you should only eat chocolate chip cookies. In fact, the things in life that are better for you and actually help you usually have some resistance attached to them. Now, we live in such a coddled, comfort-obsessed, idolatrous culture that even as Christians, we've tried to make evangelism turn into this thing that has no pain, which is a crossless version of Christianity. You know why evangelizing is hard and sharing our faith is hard? Because it is! It's awkward. When people don't know Jesus and they don't agree with you and they, 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 don't, they don't understand and you're trying to share Christ with them, it is difficult sometimes. That doesn't mean we don't do it. Now, do we need to do it with winsomeness and wisdom and learn how to do it and be equipped to do it? Absolutely. But at some level, you've got to say, okay, Jesus, you died on a cross to save this world and I'm part of that world, you saved me, and you called me to be a witness for you, and I'm so weak in my own strength, but you, I need your Holy Spirit just so I can push against this wind and step forward and actually share my faith. So yeah, evangelism is hard. Sharing your faith is hard. That's why you have the Holy Spirit of the living God dwelling on the inside of you, To set your insides on fire so you can say like Jeremiah, your word is shut up in my bones. And I I have to speak about Jesus. I am compelled to proclaim because I've got the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. Now here's the deal. You're not empowered to be a convincer. You're not empowered to be a persuader. You're not empowered to be a... uh, It doesn't even say you're empowered to be an evangelist. What are you empowered to be? A witness. Can I get a witness? (laughs) What's the difference? A witness doesn't have to defend or prove anything. Well, prove to me there's a God. I can't. Guys, I have a, a master's degree. In Christian apologetics, okay, which is basically the defense of the gospel. And if somebody came to me and said, okay, you've studied for six years how to prove to people that there's a God and so on and so forth, can you prove to me there's a God? I'd be like, absolutely not. In fact, the more I've learned, the more questions I have about whether he's real or not. And actually, I think the arguments I hear from atheists and agnostics and all that, I actually find there to be more weight in those arguments the more I understand there's just this tiny problem is that every worldview requires faith. And when i came to it i had met the living god i'd encountered jesus and the power of the holy spirit was on in the inside of me there's this supernatural side that i can't let go of and so to reconcile these worldviews i had to make a decision in faith to make a leap of faith absolutely just like anyone has to do and i've met jesus and he's changed my life from the inside out and the and so therefore i'm a christian but i can't prove to you there's a god i can give you answers i can speak to you to help work through some of these things but I can't prove to someone intellectually or academically beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's all true and real. Are you with me? But that's not what I'm empowered to do. I'm empowered to say this is what I saw. This is what I know. This is who spoke to me. This is what he did for me. You're empowered to be a witness. A witness doesn't have to defend or prove anything. They simply need to tell the truth. Can I tell you right now what's wrong with our political system? And what's wrong with our country? People don't tell the truth. I'm going to do such and such a thing for this. I'm going to do this. So this is. We've we've really put power on a higher pedestal than truth. We've put success on a higher pedestal than truth. The Bible says, "When truth falls, justice fails." Truth has fallen in the street. Justice cannot enter. Why do we have no justice in our nation? Oh, it's, it's, it's this, it's that, it's this group oppressing this group, ah, balderdash. There's always been oppression. Oppression will always be here until Jesus is on the throne. Christians can help fight against oppression and all that, but we need truth. Truth is so valuable. Truth cuts through all the fog, all the clouds. All you need to do to be a witness for Jesus is tell the truth of what he's done in your life, what you see, right, what you've seen. Bethany and I, we're not like police happy. We don't try to call the police all the time, but every once in a while, we have a reason to call the police, mostly on our children and uh, (laughs) holding us hostage or something. No, but we were driving down uh, Gateway Street a couple months ago, and we saw a man brandishing a knife, or was it like a razor blade or something? Yeah, and he was like doing like karate kid, you know, moves or whatever. So we were like, I think we're going to call the police. So we called the police and they, they didn't say, well, what, you know, prove to us there's a man there. They said, what's going on? And we said, well, there's a guy out here brandishing a knife. He looks like he could hurt someone. And they're like, okay, great. will we'll come and check it out. What were we being? A witness. Well, prove to me the, the chemical makeup of the knife. Could it actually cut human flesh? I, I don't know. There's a man brandishing a knife. This is what I saw. And I'm telling the truth. That's what a witness does. A witness doesn't have to prove, defend. We didn't get put on trial. The police weren't like, okay, we'll show up here and come to court. Sometimes as a witness, you have to go to court, right? You get called to present, but that's not what happened. Most of the time, you're just sharing what you saw. We just said, this is what we saw. That is what you're empowered to do, okay? So the Holy Spirit empowers you to be bold enough to say, this is what I saw. This is what I see. This is what Jesus did for me. This is what he's done in my life. Here's the action step for this. We need to step out in faith. And I've already kind of been talking about it, so I won't belabor the point. But is it difficult? Is it hard? Yes. But when you have the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives you boldness to be his witness. You just have to step out into that now and begin to walk in that empowerment that he's called you to. Jesus said you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. So what does it mean to step out in faith as a witness? It means you actually start talking to people about Jesus. You actually start intentionally seeking out people that do not know Jesus that you can share Jesus with. Now, does that always look like having a directly religious conversation? No, sometimes it's inviting someone out to coffee, talking about their family, sharing the love of God. But at some point, when do you tell people about Jesus? See, what I've discovered is oftentimes we hear teaching about evangelism and we, we, we soften it so much that we never get to the payoff pitch. You know, when, when I was uh, dating Bethany, there was a moment when I actually had to go down on one knee and say, will you marry me? I had to ask the question. We call it popping the question, right? When do you pop the question with people that are desperate for hope, desperate for life, desperate for transformation? When do you actually say, oh yeah, the answer actually is Jesus. It's not just that I love you. A lot of people love me, but, no, but, but a lot of people didn't die on the cross for my sins to save me from eternal separation from God. A lot of people will feed me if I'm hungry. There's a bunch of do-gooders in Eugene. In fact, our city's so, we have a very do-gooding city. Have you noticed that about us? This is a great city to be homeless in. I'm just being honest, right? I mean, you can do whatever you want. You can, you know what I mean? And I'm not even critical of that. I'm glad we have a nice city, but nobody in Eugene died for your sins. People will give you food, clothes. They'll tell you you're perfect. You can pick, you can decide you, you want to be a different gender. People will love you. People are nice. We live in a very nice country. You go, the country's so mean. Go back and live in the Middle Ages and tell me we live in a mean country. But nobody that wants to be just nice to you died for your sins. The gospel is is this message that each and every one of us, because of our sin, is separated from a holy God, and our destiny eternally is separation and hell And the gospel says Jesus came and he paid that price for you so you can be reconciled with God. We need to stop being so uncomfortable with man because we fear people and fear ridicule and fear that and we end up becoming very uncomfortable with God. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. So the gospel creates confrontational moments well, I'm glad that your life is mostly okay and good and so on and so forth, but do you have salvation through Jesus? He is the only way to the Father. I'm preaching better than you, amen (laughs) And Jesus says, I'm going to empower you. You have the Holy Spirit to share me, to be my witnesses. It's fascinating, if you actually study the church history, the book of Acts, the disciples didn't even leave Jerusalem until Acts chapter 8. Did you know that? So they get filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. Jesus promised Acts chapter 1. They get filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. There's all these moments, but they actually didn't leave. Even them, even right at this moment of receiving the Holy Spirit, they were still nervous about it. They were still caught in their life and caught in the familiar. It wasn't until Acts chapter 8 where we find out that a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then when they got scattered because they were so uncomfortable and pushed out of their area, it says the believers in verse 4 who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Even these early disciples had a hard time. So don't feel bad if you go, man, I'm having a little bit of a hard time because this is not a condemning message. This is a message to say, let's be honest and truthful about the task assigned to us, the empowerment we've been given and the purpose of it, so we can begin to walk in it. But you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's the same Spirit, in Romans chapter 8 we learn, that raised Christ from the dead. There's not, you can't get a better battery for your empowerment than the Holy Spirit. It's the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And so, our action step is to take that step of faith and start making Disciples, Your Jerusalem is your family, your friends, your close circle, the intimate circle around you, your, your community. Begin to live out loud for Christ. Begin to share your faith. Begin to pray and ask God to put you into some uncomfortable moments where you can share the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you know that 8 out of 10 people said in a survey that they'd go to church if somebody invited them? Do you know why churches don't grow? It's not because the world's so upset about Jesus or whatever. No, it's that people, Christians are too ashamed to actually say, I have bread, I'm a beggar, and I'm just telling you where to find bread. We think, oh, I have to know all this stuff. No, just be a witness. This room could be filled next week if each of us would just say, oh, I just, I'm empowered to be a witness. And I'm going to talk about this in a little bit more, what you can do. But your Jerusalem is your family, your friends, your close circle. Samaria and Judea are your region, your city, right? Your, your county, Lane County for us. It's our region and the ends of the earth is around the world. And so we, we are sharing our faith in these concentric circles, but it starts right now. Let me give you a deeply practical thing. I want to challenge you, even from this message today, to write down three people and commit to pray for them. Three people that do not know Jesus that are in your life. Oh, I don't have any unsaved friends, Pastor Jake. Well, then that's your first, that's your first job. For me, I'd hear messages about evangelism for years and years and years. And I would go, well, I don't have any unsaved friends. I had to go make friends with unsaved people. And now I have people that are my friends that are unsaved and that I'm praying for and talking to. Write down three people and commit to pray for them. Ask God specifically for opportunities to share Christ with them. How many of you, just be honest right now, would say, I want to grow in my faith and relationship with Jesus? Raise your hand. I want to grow in my faith and relationship with Jesus. There's absolutely no better way than to do what I'm telling you right now. Yeah. Because you will have a big, big house moment when you have to share your faith with, when, when you pray and say, God, would you open an opportunity for me, for this person? And then he does, and then you have to do it. <laughs> You're gonna grow a lot. You're gonna be on the phone, Pastor Jake, what's that verse? I need this verse. Pastor Jake, what's that book you were referencing? Pastor Jake, I need all your C.S. Lewis quotes. <laughs> You'd be in church like this, taking notes. Come on. Do you know why your faith is boring and lifeless? Because you're not using it. You're not deploying it. When, when we find crisis or a problem in our life, don't you become suddenly interested in things? Right? If your marriage starts going through problems, all of a sudden you're like, I need to be listening. What, Dr. Phil, what do you have to say? Like, we want to know because it's it's immediate. There's something there. When you begin to step out in faith and say, God, give me opportunities to talk with people that don't know you, you will suddenly be very interested in the things of God. And man, you'll be like, well, I want that speaking in tongues thing because I need that power. Come on, I need to be fired up because I'm gonna have this conversation with somebody. write down three people, commit to pray for them, ask God for opportunities to share Christ with them, and then here's the next follow-up step from that, create relational moments. Give yourself a chance to actually win the game. Give yourself a chance to actually have relationship and time to share your faith. My dad was my soccer coach growing up, and he was very good at coaching. He was very motivational, Uh, but he had some good strategic thoughts, too, and one of the strategies that he would tell us as uh, young soccer players, along with Kelly uh, Finley's dad, Jim Feeney, they would say, Kick it in the middle. Kick it in the middle. What they meant, what they were talking about it, they would explain to us this strategy to us, was that if you would kick the ball in the middle when you were on offense, it could bounce off somebody's leg and, you know, it gave you opportunities to score. So kicking it to the middle on offense and kicking it away from the middle on defense was for us. 12 and 11-year-olds, like, that was all the strategy we could handle on our brains, right? And that strategy led us to being an undefeated team for years and years and years. Kick it in the middle. As a Christian, if you don't ever kick it in the middle, what that means is you're never setting yourself up to actually have any real conversations with people. And you're like, oh, Lord, help me, you know, see this person come to you. But we never actually set up coffee, or we never actually invite them over, or we never watch a show together, or we never talk on Zoom or whatever it may be, you actually have to kick it in the middle. You got to create some relational moments where you have an opportunity to win. See, we pray for people to come to faith, but then we have zero faith that God actually answered our prayers. James said, faith without works is dead. Let me tell you, a lot of Christians pray very fervently and faithfully, oh God, oh God, oh God, do such and such a thing. And God, you know what he says to so many of your prayers? Yes. Yes. Lord, would you save my neighbor? Yes. Would you open their heart to the gospel? Yes. Would you make a way for me to have a relationship with them? Yes. And then we're like, cool, sweet, and we just go through life. You actually have to step into the answered prayers of God. You have to, come on, you have to step into the answered prayers of God. Oh God, would you send me a a spouse? I need a godly woman. I want to marry a godly woman. You know, I want her to be uh, faithful to you and all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, here she is. And you know who didn't ask Bethany to marry him? The Holy Spirit didn't ask her. Jesus didn't ask Bethany to marry him or me. I had to ask her. You hear what I'm saying? You prayed the prayer, step into the prayer. Oh, Lord, would you send us a building? We need a big enough building. We want it in the middle of town. We want it big enough to have a church of two to 5,000 people. Lord, we want a building that has a playground on the inside of it, a, a space for that, an indoor playground. So we need really high ceilings. Oh, God, we don't want a place out in, the, out in the, the farmland of Eugene. We don't want that. We want a place in the middle of the city where people will see it every day. And then one day we're driving down and we look over, oh, Skate World's for sale. But you know the Holy Spirit didn't call John Ruby the real estate agent, I did. And you know who didn't get a loan? Jesus, Mark Harpam got us a loan. You know who didn't knock down all the walls and crap that was built in here? The Holy Spirit didn't do it. Alan Gearing did it, and Kelly King did it, and you did it, and I did a very small amount of it. Do you know who didn't give the money? Jesus didn't pull out his wallet and give to this project, you did. But who, create, who made it possible and who did it? Well, God did it, but he did it through us. Yes. And so we go, okay, Lord, I'm praying for lost people to get saved. How many times have you heard Christians pray for revival? But how many Christians step forward and create a revival? Come on, somebody. This might offend some of you, but it's good because it'll offend the religious spirits that actually send people to hell rather than the real disciples of Jesus that advance the kingdom. Religious people will pray, and they're offended when a Christian actually steps out in faith to move the hand of God into action. But you've got to understand that what we, what we know about God and His character and nature revealed to us in Scripture is that God always says uh, that He works through people. He incarnates, including when He wanted to save the world. He didn't do it in a spiritual sense. He became a man and actually showed up, lived a whole life, and died on the cross in the flesh. Man, I could preach on this all day. But let me just tell you right now, to see the answered prayers of God in your life, you actually have to step out in faith yeah. and actually step into the answered prayer. Yeah. How many prayers have you prayed that God said yes to that you are simply not activating right now? I've managed to go through uh, this message and, and turned into a very long series by not being able to finish all the points. <laughs> <laughs> But you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness. You're empowered to make disciples. I'm going to have to end this here because we don't have time to go into the next point And I don't want to rush through it. Is this okay? Yes. You have to say yes, right? I mean, you... <laughs> <laughs> pastors ask those kind of questions and it's just rhetorical, really. I mean, it's, it's an exercise, right? Is this all right? Yeah. I mean, I can imagine like 10 people like, no, this sucks. <laughs> okay. Yeah, We pray for people, but we have zero faith to actually step out that God answered our prayer. And so this action step is this. Jesus, I have three people. I'm going to write down their names. Here's their name, here's their name, here's their name. I'm going to pray for them every day. God, please work on this person. You said that your Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin, righteousness, the judgment to come. I'm believing for that. I'm believing that you're going to... uh, Open up these opportunities. And so when those opportunities, uh, when when I'm praying for that, I'm going to actually test and see did you say yes to this prayer? So I'm going to reach out and say, hey, do you want to get coffee? Hey, do you want to hang out on Zoom? Now, again, do you have to have a religious conversation? No. You can say, how's your family? Well, you know, the old ball and chain, she's saying this to me. Da, 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 da. Oh, okay. So, sounds like something going on in your marriage. Do you need. You know, help there, what's going on? Do you hear what I'm saying? And you're just, you're pushing, you're, you're like the camel with their nose in the tent. You're just pushing into someone's life because you love them, you care about them, and you know that you have no book, no sitcom, no, no daytime TV show, no course that you can offer them that will change what's really wrong with their life other than the gospel of Jesus Christ that will transform them from the inside out. So you're kind of aggressive in a really loving, nice, winsome way to win people to Jesus. Because you know there's no other solution. There's no other name by which people can be saved. We step out in faith. We create those relational moments. It's kicking it in the middle, creating opportunities, conversations about faith, asking questions. Listen, when you begin to press into this, you're gonna to wanna to read books like Tactics by Greg Kalkel about how to get conversations going and ask questions. You're gonna to wanna to You're gonna wanna study this because when you start to see people come to faith through your life, which is your inheritance and your empowered position as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're gonna be on fire. You will be on fire. You're gonna be excited. I'm telling you, when you begin to share faith and see the love of God working through you and other people's lives and the miracles that take place, like you are at an entirely different level of excitement about coming to church on Sunday. It stops being about you and it's about God's great plan for the world and what he's doing through you and it's amazing. Step into those answered prayers in Jesus' name. Next week, I'll share about mentorship empowered by mentors in our life. But today, if you're a disciple of Jesus, just lift up your hands right now. We're gonna respond to this message. Father, we thank you that you're moving in the atmosphere today. You're here, Lord. We are just so enriched and filled with your spirit. God, you're, you're speaking through this time, this moment in our worship, in the word, in our fellowship. God, you, won't, you have so much grace and glory and richness, the Lord you're doing in our lives, and we thank you for that. But God, we want to respond to this message today. You have called us to be disciple makers. You've called us to be witnesses, and you've empowered us with the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Lord, blow, breathe, let your spirit flow on every heart and disciple. Fill us with your spirit today, God. Release the mystery of your Holy Spirit in our lives. God, that we wouldn't be cavalier and act like we're smarter than you and we know more. We, Lord, help us to lean into the things even that we don't understand and say, Jesus, we want all of what you have for us. Your Holy Spirit, empower us with your Holy Spirit today. Fill us with your spirit, not so we can just have good feelings, Lord, but so we can carry the gospel into the world around us as your witnesses, simply speaking the truth of what we saw and what we've experienced in knowing you. Empower your disciples today by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to make disciples. Oh God, we pray that each and every one of us, would hold on to this message and carry it out into the world around us. Lord, we don't advance the kingdom with strategy, with marketing, with buildings, with, Lord, good music and good messages and good kids programs. Lord, that stuff is awesome, but Lord, we advance it as every disciple says, this is my job. This is my position. I am a disciple, and every disciple makes disciples. So Lord, I will step out in my insecurity. I will step out in my fear. I will step out of my comfort zone. I'll step out of my socioeconomic uh, uh, comfort zone. I'll step out of Anything you want me to step out of and I'll simply embrace the people that you've called me to, Lord. And I'll share my faith. Oh God, we will see revival in this city. We'll see revival in the churches. We'll see revival in this place. Lord, if each disciple would simply grab hold of this, Lord, we wanna go viral. We wanna go, Lord, to the nations. Lord, we wanna see the gospel that came to us get through us and impact people's lives. God, you're doing a miracle today in this moment. And it's going to unfold in such a beautiful way as we respond in faith. We say, thank you, Lord. You're answering these prayers and we're going to step forward in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quick, uh, bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here today and you're uh, looking for answers, looking for life, looking for hope, maybe you kind of have a semblance of understanding of what you're looking for. But what I've been talking about today is a real relationship with Jesus. And uh, right now you can make that decision to be a follower of Jesus. We do this at every single service on Sundays. Even when I preach too long, we do it because it's the most important part of the service every week, which is to give any person here an opportunity to put their faith and trust in Jesus and let him save you and give you eternal life. Like I said earlier, the only person that died for your sins is Jesus. I can't save you. I can give you advice. Some of it's going to be good. Some of it's probably not. People around you, they can love you. They can help you. But the only person that died for your sins, the only person that can save you is Jesus. And so right now is an opportunity to put your faith in him, to make a decision to be his follower and turn over your life to him. So if that's you, would you just raise your hand so I can see? Anybody in this place, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus today. I want to trust him as my Lord and Savior. I want to be forgiven for my sins. Awesome. Let's pray this prayer together. Everybody just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you. I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with you. I give you my life and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.